If you missed the introduction, uh, my name is Michael. I am the pastor here at Christ Church Halifax. It's lovely to see all of you here for worship this morning. Let me invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where we'll look at the sermon scripture reading for this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. Uh, it's Psalm 12. I don't know if you knew that the Bible has a songbook. Um, that it has a collection of 150 different songs, divinely inspired lyrics that God's people are meant to hum, to tap their toes to, to rehearse, to chew on, to meditate, to sing while they're in the shower, to roll over and over again in their minds. And that songbook is the book of Psalms. The Psalms are given by God to help us know and to praise him rightly, to learn how to walk with him and trust him through all of life's ups and downs to learn how to commune with the infinite, almighty God in love. If you look at the title description for Psalm 12, which is on the back middle portion of your worship guide or in your Bibles, you can see that uh, it's another psalm that's attributed to Israel's greatest king, King David. And it's according to perhaps a melodic tune or a liturgical pattern that we've, we've since lost. We don't actually know what it is, but it's called the Sheminith anyways. And it's been given to the choir master. So uh, the music leader of Israel was intended to arrange and to teach worshipers of God to sing this song, uh, both now and, of course, uh, uh, now and then. So together this morning, as we listen to this song, what we're hoping is that our hearts would begin to hum its melody, that we would rehearse this song, that it would become our own song. We chew on it because God has given us this song by his servant David to help us, to build us up, to build our faith, to help us to walk with him. Let's read Psalm 12 together. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David, Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, would you now bless not only the reading and the hearing of your word, but its preaching. Would you speak to us now by your spirit? Will we hear your voice loud and clear, the truth of your word? Would it penetrate our hearts? Uh, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on your church as we open your word now together. We pray that all in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 12 is a song. It's a psalm that both laments and celebrates the power of words. Words matter. Words are powerful. When words are misused, when people lie, when they flatter, when they manipulate other people with their tongue, real destruction and real pain follows. Your words have consequences. 
But when true words are spoken, when faithful words are spoken, it's like a veil is lifted. Right? We can see things rightly. Chains are unlocked and we can walk freely. Life is given. Hopes rekindled. Our sufferings can be reframed when the truth is spoken. And the scriptures from cover to cover speak of the power of words, both to give life, but also to break it apart. In the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see this at play. We see God creating everyone and everything just with his words, his powerful, true words. All the beauty and the goodness that we see around us in this world are from the beginning spoken words of God. He says, let there be light, and there's light. But by chapter 3 of Genesis, just three chapters into the Bible, we see false words, untrue words being spoken, and death quickly following. So the serpent in the garden whispers lies, whispers half-truths to Eve. Did God really say not to eat from any fruit in the garden? Satan lies. He twists God's words. He tempts Eve to doubt God's goodness and care for her. And all of our groaning, all of our pain, all of the death and destruction which we experience on a daily basis has flowed out of that first lie from these first untruthful words. And of course, it doesn't stop there in Genesis 3. As we read through the Bible from cover to cover in the historical books of the Old Testament, in the time that David is writing Psalm 12, uh, centuries later in the time of Jesus Christ and in the years in the time after Christ, the time of the apostles, false untrue words bring death and God's true words bring life. And of course, this is just as true in our time as it was then. We live in a world that's filled with lies, with unfaithful people willing to use words to break, to manipulate, and to harm people, or or to flatter and to woo them if it serves their own purposes. We routinely hear lies. I mean, we hear them so often that it just serves as the backdrop, the background noise of our very existence from politicians promising what they and we both know that they can't and won't deliver on to advertisers and salespeople whispering sweet words that you will find joy and fulfillment if you just get a Jeep Wrangler or if you go to the party and you drink Kettle One Vodka. Insert any lawyer joke that you, that you know, uh, lawyers who are willing to say whatever they can to get their clients off scot-free, irrespective of justice. The get-rich-quick schemes, the gambling commercials, which lie to the most vulnerable and rob them blind. Trusted experts in various fields denying the uniqueness and image-bearing glory of men and women, even denying the very existence of gender at all. Lies spoken routinely which use soft, euphemistic, sanitized words to cloak the killing of infants in their mother's wombs, to, to kill off the elderly and the sick using words like health care. The bold and boastful, slanderous lies that deny the supremacy, the glory, the beauty, the goodness, the very existence of God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, from those tasked with the education of children, And young people in universities and and colleges, lies are all around us, all the time. And they're not benign. This isn't just other people's opinions. They cause incredible pain, incredible destruction, both now and eternally. And this is not new. This, 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 This environment is not new. This is the world Adam and Eve entered into when they believed Satan's lie. This is David's world in Psalm 12. This is the world that Christ came in to save. And so how do we respond to this environment, to this world? I love how David just starts Psalm 12 
by saying, save, O Lord. What do we do when we're overwhelmed by the volume and the venom of lies around us? God's people don't despair. We don't throw in the towel and just give it. Instead, we cry out, save, O Lord. Help us. Act. In Psalm 12, as we'll see this morning, highlights three things for us. Three things for those of us who live in this kind of world, a world dominated by lies and flattery and double hearts speaking with forked tongues. The three points are going to be the problem, the solution, and the warning. Okay? The problem, the solution, and the warning. So first, the problem. If you look at verses 1 through 4, David states the problem we face And it's this, we live in a world that's dominated by lies and by flattery. Unfaithful speaking, unfaithful people speaking unfaithful words. Verses 1 to 2, look at the world, and if you can remember last week, Psalm 11, it shares some similarities with that. In Psalm 11, David looked at the world around him and it felt to him like the bottom had fallen out. In Psalm 11, he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And here he's saying kind of the same thing in verses 1 through 2. It's like everything's going up in smoke. Things seem like they're as bad as they could possibly get. The godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished. Everyone lies to their neighbors. David, who's trying to faithfully follow God, he feels alone. He feels isolated. He feels just surrounded by lies and trouble all the time. And in reading this, perhaps you'll gain some sort of a bizarre comfort. I did as I read it. It might comfort you to know that every generation has looked around them and said kind of the same thing. What's happening here? Where have the godly gone? I was born in the 80s, and it's not uncommon for me to remember with fondness my childhood, a very analog childhood. Walkman cassette players, tube TVs, roaming the neighborhood until after dark, alone. And I tend to think that things were simpler back then. The world wasn't as rough then as it is now. But my mom, who was born in the 60s, when she gave birth to me in the 80s, she feared what my life would be like in the 80s and 90s. And she wished, oh, if only he had been born in the 70s. If only he had been born back then. Things were less rough then than they are now. And, and really, we can just wind that all the way back to Adam and Eve. This is the experience of every generation who loves and serves and fears the Lord. If you love Yahweh, the God who rescued Israel from Egypt, the God who sent Jesus to save people from their sins, and you want to walk with him, there's a problem. The world that we live in always presents difficulties to that task. This world, since the time of Adam and Eve, has been hostile to the goal of following Christ. The world, the flesh, the devil, they conspire together to make walking with God difficult, treacherous, even risky at times. We are described for a reason that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Verse 3 carries with it that very visceral language, if you look at it, the similar language that we heard back in Psalm 10, where if you remember in Psalm 10, God asked, David asked God to break the arms of evildoers. And here he asks God to cut off flattering lips and boastful tongues. That is, he's saying, put an end to their destructive lies. God, make it stop, please. And this is because, as you look at verse 5, it points out that these lies have very real harm. Unfaithful words are destructive. Words are powerful. The poor are being plundered. The needy groan. Flattery, boasting, and lies are extremely destructive. 
And so what I'd like to do, if, you, if you'll allow me, you have no choice, I have the microphone, is to take a quick time out to talk about flattery in particular, okay? Uh, verses 2 and 3 describe flattering lips, and so I think it would be appropriate for us to, to discuss this particular species of lying. In Hebrew, the word flattery or flattering lips is literally lips of smoothness. A flatterer is someone who speaks smooth, easy, honey-dipped words, typically to serve as a compliment or praise for another person, but these words are insincere. They're lies, they're half-truths, if you prefer, intended to further the flatterer's own interests. Flattering words aren't spoken to help and to bless the hearer, but to advance the cause of the speaker. They're selfish words, intended to make the speaker seem likable or insightful or intelligent or someone who's trustworthy. I want you to think of so many of the lies that are spoken here in Canada, in Halifax, to so many people. Words intended to flatter people. We, we, we live in a society that tells people, you can just be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You can think however you want to think. You can live however you want to live. And guess what? There's no consequences for that. There's no judgment. There's no God to answer to. Live how you want to live. As verse 4 says, it, it creates a, a culture and an environment where people just say, who is master over us? Right? But these flattering words spoken to people, which seem to give them comfort and hope, are not spoken for their good. They're spoken for the speaker's good, to help them feel you know, tolerant or intelligent or insightful or modern or cool or savvy. Mark Jones, who's a fellow PCA pastor out in Vancouver, he's written very helpfully on the topic of flattery. And he describes it as one of the most publicly and socially acceptable sins, which is why it's such a dangerous sin. Many of us, many of us have grown accustomed to flattery. We, we like being flattered. We live in a therapeutic, indulgent society where no one wants to be told no or, or to be cautioned with a true embracing word. We're surrounded, or we've surrounded ourselves with so-called friends or colleagues or professional counselors surround ourselves with books and authors and podcasters who speak words to us, smooth words, words that we like to hear, that build us up, tell us what we want to hear, that make us feel good, make us feel great about ourselves. But unfortunately, these words lack that one tiny detail of truth. Their flattering words aren't true. They're meant to puff us up, to give us false, temporary comfort, to glaze over the deep and cavernous wound of sin and pride because it's just too ugly for us to look at and deal with. In his article on flattery, there's a couple out there, Mark quotes from a Yiddish proverb that says, flattery makes friends and truth makes enemies. Flattery makes friends and truth makes enemies. Flattering someone, instead of telling them the truth, it just makes the day go by easier, doesn't it? Man, it's so much easier to flatter than to speak the truth to someone, a truth that's uncomfortable or unpopular. Speaking truth in your workplace or in your class on any number of topics, it just rocks the boat. It makes life difficult. And many people just conclude, better to just flatter. Just say what they want me to say. Just just whatever will help the day go by without trouble. But David pleads with God. He begs God, Lord, cut off flattering lips. 
flattery is so destructive, you must put an end to it. I don't think we take the danger of flattery seriously enough. The danger of both giving it to others and receiving it. Uh, of tasting and allowing these smooth, honeyed words to sink into us. It's an enormous problem. Personally, in your home, in the church, in our city, nationally and globally, we have to be on our guard to flattery, not to be flatterers and to avoid it, to reject it. So this is part one. The problem David's facing, the perennial problem every generation is lies, it's untruths, it's flattery spoken from unfaithful people. And so we're at part two, the solution. In verse 5 through 7, we see David's solution to this age-old problem. The solution to unfaithful speaking with uh, lying lips is, is this. It's for God to arise and to speak true words. To counter lies, to see change and transformation in our world for the poor and the needy to finally be in safety, we need the truth. But in a world uh, filled with hucksters and flatterers and smooth-lipped liars, where do we go for truth? And this problem, this dilemma, there is so much lying, so much deception in the world that it has exhausted some people. <laughs> they conclude, I guess there's no such thing as truth. Who can know the truth? I'm tired of being tricked. I don't want to be taken in again. And so we're on our defensive when any, anyone says that they have the truth, that, that, that they know what is true. But listen, the, friend, uh, the answer, friends, is not despair. It is not indifference to the truth. It's to cry out, save, O Lord. The solution to this problem is to go to God and to receive his true words. Look at verse 6. In contrast to every impure and untrue word that, that surrounds us, that is the very air we breathe, is to go to God. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. If you're not aware, that's a smelting image, okay? If you're not into movies about the gold rush or you don't play Minecraft, you know what that is, but it's taking raw ore from the ground, melting it, getting rid of all of impurity so that what you have is the real deal, untainted, without defects. Lies are impure, and so they bring death, but God's words are pure, and so they give life. In verse 7, David confesses that by his true words, God will keep and guard those who suffer and groan under the weight of lies and flattery. God's words are the only sure solution to the lies in every generation. Lord willing, we'll get to Psalm 19 at some point, maybe next summer, but here's a taste. It's, it's, it's a longer meditation on the perfection and goodness and saving power of God's word. What's the solution to the problem around us? It's God's word. And look at what it can do in an untruthful and broken world, when it's received and believed and kept with humility and faith and childlike trust. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Does your soul need renewal and revival? Do you lack wisdom and need it? 
Would you want a heart that rejoices in the truth, to have an enlightened eye, to hold on to something that is sweet and rich treasure that endures forever? You're being called to hold on and to trust in with all of your heart God's word. God protects and helps his people in a world that's filled with lies by giving them his words. This is another reason, if you needed yet another one, to join us on our Bible reading plan this summer <laughs> and going into the fall. All right, Dylan's going to give you the real pitch during our announcements. But, you know, here at first here in Psalm 12 and Psalm 19, we're not just called to read God's word, but to believe it, to trust it, to keep it, to obey it. Uh, listen every day to God speaking to you true and pure words. Again, we live in, amongst the smog of untruth. And when we read the scriptures, we are, we are given the clear, cool, fresh air of God's pure word. Let him give you the safety you long for instead of the foe safety that flatterers offer you. Here's a warning. Uh, we'll get to the, the, the true warning in a minute. But if you come to church or you've grown up in a Christian home, you've probably heard the Bible quite a bit. You're quite familiar with it, perhaps. You know, you, you, you've often heard God speaking to you, but listen to Jesus' warning from Matthew 7, that listening isn't enough. Knowing the truth isn't enough. This is what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, these true, pure words, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Listen, friends, if you build your life on flattery, if you build your life and your hope on smooth, comfortable words. If you hear God's word today and you do not build your life on that, there will come a storm one day that will lay ruin to your life and you'll find that you've built everything on sand. But if you build your life on God's pure word, even if you are in the middle of the storm, you'll be able to stand. God will guard you. He will be a foundation for you, a sure and steadfast rock. So that's the problem, right? Lies, flattering lips, unfaithful spe people speaking unfaithful words. And the solution is to go to God and to hear his true words, to keep, believe, and trust everyone. And this is part three. It's a quick one. And this is the warning, the warning. Psalm 12 ends with somewhat of a cliffhanger. If you look at verse 8, David is left unresolved. He's trusted in God's word. He's believed his promises for protection. But when David looks around again, what does he see? On every side, the wicked prowl. That, that could be uh, they freely strut as vileness is exalted among the children of man. David is left still saying, man, things are bad. This generation is rough. And so this is a warning to us, to, to, to the people who, who love God's word and trust in it. Speaking the truth, believing in the truth, building your life on the truth, not giving or receiving flattery, it may not fix things right away. It may, in fact, be the case that when you hold on to the truth and you speak the truth, things will appear to get worse for you. You may get fired. 
You may get unfriended. You may lose opportunities. You may lose respect. Listen, the truth will always win in the end. But in these last days before the end, it sometimes feels like it won't. And now the, the, the sermon, there's a little aside, as an FYI, is not an excuse for you to go out there John waning truth bullets at everyone that you see with no respect, no consideration, no prudent thought whatsoever. Flattery is a sin, but being prudent and careful and wise with your words is not. The book of Proverbs commends truth, but it also commends it being well-spoken, well-timed, well-placed. That's another sermon, though, okay? So be warned. It's not going to be easy. For God's people, even if you have the truth, even if you speak the truth, speaking the truth can be hard. And like a farmer who's sowing seeds, sometimes we will not see the harvest until another season. But God's word is true. It is life-giving seed, and in its time, it'll grow fruit. We can bank on that. Let's conclude with this. Of course, it's, it's no coincidence that Jesus Christ, who is described as the word of God made flesh, he told his listeners, not that he had truth simply, but that he is the way, he is the truth, and he's the life. Truth in Christianity, God's word in Christianity, is not simply prepositional or propositional. It's personal. It's not simply words on a page. It's a living, breathing person. We're not saved by our Bible reading. We're not saved by knowing the truth, though the Bible and the truth does, of course, point us to the one who does save. As one author puts it, the center of the Christian faith is not an idea or a theory of truth or even a vision of life, but the name of a person, Jesus Christ, our faith centers on personal attachment to him. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, one of our, our very great reforms, catechisms, when we ask this question, what is our only comfort? What is our only comfort? in life and death, our response is not, I know the truth and I don't believe lies. The response is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not come to flatter you. He didn't come to speak smooth words to us. He came to expose, with truth, like a good doctor, the cancer of lies and flattery and boasting. And yet in love, he took on our cancer. He took on our lies. He took on our flattery. He took on our boasting. He took on your half-truths and your deceptions so that those who are united to him by faith could not only see their sin destroyed and judged and put on the cross, but three days later, they could see with the eyes of faith the risen Christ and rejoice in knowing that they too had been given life in him. See, the lies around us might cause you to despair because lies are powerful. Lies bring death. But the truth, Jesus Christ, who is the truth himself, is more powerful than death. He destroyed death. He put it to death on the cross. His truth, the truth, is more powerful than the lie. This is our hope, friends. This is the hope of our friends and our family and our city and our nation. He is our hope. Build your life on him, friends. Lies and death are not just defeated by true words. They're defeated by a person, the true word himself, who lived and died and who lives again and reigns forevermore. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for speaking to us true words, which in some ways crush us, reveal the true state of our hearts, our desire to be flattered, to live how we want to live. And yet in your great mercy and love, you speak words of life and hope to us. You send your word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate your love and your care for sinners and sufferers. God, would you help us to receive this truth, the truth, Jesus Christ, this morning. Father, help us to repent of, to turn away from all lies and flattery and boasting. To, to feed on your word and on your truth. To build our lives on it. To keep and receive it with humbleness and sincerity. To confess when we fail to listen and to obey as we ought to. God, would you give us meek and humble hearts which trust you? Would you help us to lay our, lay our arms down, our, our, our knives and our swords and our, and our guns which we use to try to defend ourselves and insulate ourselves from true words? Would you help us to believe, to know that you care for us and you love us, that you offer us life in the face of death and lies? God, build, build your church. Help us to trust you by your spirit. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.